Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Griefsters, I hope this week is bearable. That's what I'm going to say because we are living through some very strange times. So I just hope that this week has been bearable and um, your chocolate intake, like mine, has been reasonable as opposed to slightly worrying. Um, thank you so much for your lovely comments as ever about the new series. You're just, you're just such a brilliant bunch of people and I really appreciate my audience when everything else is just so mad. Um, so thank you for being brilliant. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we're at The Griefcast. Um, there's lots of amazing conversations that happen a lot on Twitter and actually Instagram has some really amazing grief accounts. So if you're feeling a bit rubbish and just want to see some images and pictures and texts and stuff if you head to my instagram carrie ed lloyd then you go to my i've got a highlights called grief resources which is a really might be really useful um but mainly thank you for still being here amongst all the chaos this week i'm talking to behavioral and data scientist and freelance journalist dr pragya agarwal uh pragya is the author of sway sway actually as you'll hear came out uh, in april it's a, it's such a good book it's so incredible I know Pragya and it's it's difficult because I just want to tell you how amazing she is. She's such an intelligent, eloquent woman and she's also like so understated and hilarious and one of the silliest people I've ever met, um, which is surprising for someone so intelligent. Um, but yeah, if, you, if you're interested in unconscious bias, how we all have it, what it means, um, I would recommend Sway. It actually, you know breaks it down how how we all have this inside from a scientific point of view as opposed to you know arguing with um someone on the internet um she is a really really interesting person and um i was so honored that she came in to talk to us about her cat harry 
congratulations, first of all, on your very successful book, Sway, that is doing extremely well. What's the full title? It's Sway... Unraveling Unconscious Bias. Thank you so much. Uh, didn't you just get featured in, in Goop? As in, like, Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop? <laughs> I know, I know. It was so not on brand, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes, you. I see that, Pragya. You're always, you know, having stones placed on your back and doing cupping and macrobiotic diet. Get a candle and a copy of Sway <laughs> as a package deal. <laughs> That's amazing, though. What a like amazing um, thing. But the book is doing so well. It must have been interesting for you that it came out at this specific moment. Obviously, we had this huge focus suddenly on the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, was that? I guess it's weird, right? Because I was talking to Candice Brathwaite about this. Of like, it's it's great for your book to do well at that time, but also like sad that it's happening at this time of horrible racial tension. Yeah, it is really, really bizarre time, isn't it? Because uh, the book came out in the UK just as we started lockdown. So that was another kind of layer of, you know, anxiety and stress. And I Mm. feel so privileged to be talking about a book when there's so much other stuff going on around the world and people losing people close to them. And and it felt so privileged to be doing that. And then it came out in the US just around when we were talking about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd murder. So people are suddenly interested in bias and unconscious bias. And I sometimes worry that it becomes so tokenistic sometimes when Mm. people started kind of joining, it becomes sort of a bandwagon um, where people are doing that just as a performative thing rather than actually engaging with it wholeheartedly. And so that was my concern around it. But at least... I think the conversation is really good that people are talking about it and, and people are engaging with it, which is really good, I think. Yeah, and I, I, I know what you mean, because there's obviously all those sort of, there was like this like reading list that went around the internet, wasn't it? But I, it's difficult because uh, you need those resources. <laughs> like you do need those resources. And I've learned so much from some of the books I've read along the way that have made me, you know, I remember reading the Rennie Edo Lodge um, why I'm not talking to white people about race anymore a couple of years ago and I was like oh like my head was exploding it's so it's so incredible that people have taken the time to do this especially you with that unconscious bias to have someone with your academic background able to explain it because I guess also you're having these conversations with people who do say oh there's no such thing as <laughs> it's always really helpful to have a resource like yourself but obviously you should pay for those resources and be like oh great I can actually communicate this because I think sometimes when you're trying to have those conversations, if you don't have the academic background or the knowledge or the experience of that racism, you you don't know how to defend it sometimes, not defend racism, but defend that awful opinion of like, oh, it's not true, or it doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes people are silent, not because mm. they don't want to stand up, just because they don't have the tools and the vocabulary and they, they don't, yeah. they're awkward. I suppose the awkward and discomfort, awkwardness and discomfort comes from not knowing how to express it, not knowing whether what something is the right thing to say or not. And I think people worry about that. And I think, and I really wanted this book to be kind of a so space where people could reflect on privilege and biases in, in a non-judgmental way, because I think people get very defensive as well. If I was sitting there and telling you are biased and you are such mm. a bad person, I think that is where a lot of defensiveness around this comes because nobody wants to believe that we, we are biased and sexist mm. or racist or discriminate against anybody. But if if there's a space where I'm saying, actually, I'm biased as well, and let's just do this work together and think about why it is important to talk about it with data and case studies and science, then I think it gives people a 
time to reflect on it in a non-judgmental way, which I really wanted to do. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, Pragya, as ever, for doing the work. Um, so, Pragya, we're not here, unfortunately, just to talk about unconscious bias because it's so fascinating. Who are we remembering today? Uh, I'm thinking about... Um, our cat Harry. Oh, Harry! Yes, he was our. He was really my first pet, and he was really our first pet. And I still get such goosebumps just thinking and talking about it. And um, it was now almost eight years ago. Wow! So, what did Harry look like? What kind of cat we're getting here? He was white, and he was black and um finding him was quite a strange thing as well because he was we went for a holiday to chats near to a little farm near chatsworth house and mm-hmm. our our eldest was just nine at that time and as we were leaving um the the owner the late lady said to her which was quite a cheeky thing to say <laughs> um, would you like a kitten wow Obviously, the nine-year-old said yes. <laughs> yes, and without even speaking with us. And so so we had to go back it two weeks later and get this kitten from her. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and we had to prepare the house, and we had never had a pet before, and none of us, and she was really excited. So we got him as like this three-week-old or something, five-week-old, I think three or four-week-old, and he was really small. And I had to kind of train him to poop because he didn't know <laughs> to poop, so I had to act like his mother. Uh, and and he was just so cheeky and he was so beautiful. Oh, so what happened? What Did he just get to an age or? No, he was really young. He was only about four or five, four years old. Oh. So, and we used to live um, in Cheshire, which was just full countryside. And he would go out and he would, he knew his name and if he would call out to him, he would come back home. And that day I was leaving for work in the morning and usually he would come back at a certain time and he hadn't been back. And I said to my husband, he hasn't been back today and he had a routine. And I came back that night evening from work and he hadn't been back. And so we were really starting getting concerned and um, we looked around everywhere for him. I think at that one week that we didn't find him, I went absolutely crazy because I just saw him everywhere and I walked around like a mad person along the road, rattling his food box oh. and trying to call out. We put posters everywhere. We called out and just I just stopped work. I just stopped like existing. I just had couldn't do anything else. I couldn't function. It was really bizarre because I couldn't explain it to anybody why I was mm. feeling so much like this. And People are usually like, oh, he's just a cat, he's gone away. And and it's really hard to explain in a workplace how you're feeling and why you can't, why you have to take a leave because your cat has gone missing and it's really bizarre. And then we just kind of was given up hope. I, I must have trawled all these forums about what to do if your cat goes missing. And then somebody gave us a ring one morning saying they had found a cat in a, in the canal. Oh, so we went and we had to dish him out of the canal and, oh. and I don't know what happened. How did he get there? Or we had to then go and, yeah, go to a funeral place and, and yeah, cremate him. So that's what happened. So you took him to be cremated? Yes. And what did you do with the ashes? Was that sort of... Um, we, <laughs> so really, we still have the ashes in a box. Oh. It's really, we shouldn't. And we should really <laughs> bury them somewhere. But I just felt like 
initially it felt like it was really letting him go and i can't explain how i felt mm. and how we felt we were supposed to get married and we almost cancelled our wedding because we just wow. couldn't really paul my husband he couldn't he couldn't function either he was just so devastated i would cry at night thinking of him i would imagine him coming in and and my our eldest still gets tears every time we mention his name <sighs> and it's just such a just such a strong strong emotion and we almost talked about we sat there thinking we haven't done anything for a month for a wedding it's next month maybe we should just postpone it and then and we really seriously had that conversation about it feels really wrong to go and get married right now oh. and so yeah it was it was it's still i i still see his photos and it makes me really sad so how like cuz like i i totally understand and we've had an episode before with comedian michael leg who talked about his dog and for michael was saying that you know that dog was there for him like through so many difficult situations so it wasn't you know he compared it like his auntie mary died at a similar time and he said you know he was sad that auntie mary died but he hadn't seen her for years and he said you know his dog was there after every gig she put his head her head on his lap he's like auntie mary wasn't there <laughs> like and he was like obviously i was sad but the idea that just because it's a dog it's like she lived with me she was she was my friend but there is that like you said that sort of guilt and shame of like oh it's an animal i sh- i shouldn't inverted commas like what did did you have weird reactions from other people yeah yes and it was i felt i felt really strange because people would if i had to email work saying i can't come in because our cat has passed away and died and i and it was really strange reactions from people people and some people of course understood who've had pets mm. and who've lost pets but they just the intensity of emotion and i think i lost my grandparents when i was quite young and we never lived with them and i'd never been close to them we hadn't really seen them much and so i felt the loss in a bit that i saw my parents really upset and mm. i i understood that they had lost their parents but not in this way i'd never felt any loss so acutely like this so to explain to somebody that i was feeling such intense emotions at the at my cat dying i felt like at times i felt like i was belittling other people's grief by mm. talking about it people who've lost their parents people who've lost their grandparents i felt like maybe i'm just making too much of it to such a big deal of an animal really when people have really lost people close to them and i couldn't explain it to how how the cat had become a huge part of our family and it was like i'd seen my daughter grow up with him and mm. and <laughs> it's just um yeah i think because they're always there you you come home they're there they purr they mew they come into your lap there are times when you were work from home and you talk to them like a crazy <laughs> person and uh, and it just felt like this unconditional love and he was a yeah. really clingy cat and our dog felt it too because we had a dog as well and when we got the dog they become such best pals so when oh, we took God. the dog out That's for so walk cute. he would walk up alongside hide in hedges and jump at the dog occasionally <laughs> and they used to play with each other each other's tail and he would hide behind the sofa and play with taylor our dog's tail and So I think that dog was depressed for a while as well because he couldn't understand he couldn't see and he couldn't say why he was sad and he couldn't understand why he wasn't there anymore so 
I think I I hadn't felt that kind of sense of loss before, like when somebody or something so close to me had died. Yeah, it's weird though, isn't it? Because I think the trouble with animals is they exist in a sphere that we don't have words for. And that's like, that's what you're describing, isn't it? Because they live with you, you see them every morning, you look after them, you feed them, you teach them, you know, how to crap everywhere, like as much as you would a child. But they're not a child. They don't develop this personality that can question you. You know, the relationship almost doesn't, the relationship almost doesn't change that much, does it? I guess it changes as in like, you know, they're a kitten, then they're a cat, they're older. They need different things from you. But in the way that I think with a parent or child or when you're the child and to your parents, you know, you grow older, maybe you look after them more. It's a very, the dynamics always changing. Whereas this, with an animal, it kind of is a bit more stable, I suppose. And perhaps as humans, that's really comforting that there's this thing that isn't really changing in your home. It's like you said, it's just, they love you. They're there. No questions asked. They're not screaming at you or waking you up in the night. Well, I don't know, cats do do that sort of thing. So yeah, it's like, we don't have the, yeah, like what, like you said, what is that relationship? It's really complicated, isn't it? So of course, when they go, it's, it. of course, it's a, a loss, a deep loss, but it, a loss of something that isn't a human, which is hard to put into words. Yeah, it's a huge sense of just a huge sense of comfort, as you say, it's mm. huge because they sleep next to you. And I think it's that unconditional love is, mm. I think, perhaps the thing that we all want sometimes. And we all want that stability and, and knowing that they are always there. They're not going to change. They'll bring you little presents and they'll leave little mice in your bed or something. <laughs> <laughs> but and if I'm working, they'll sit next to me and they mm. don't expect that much. You know, they're not going to turn around saying you're a bad parent or yeah. <laughs> you've ruined my life or something. And you never yeah. feel that guilt. Uh, shame of not doing enough for them because they always feel grateful for what you've done for them. And I think I think I've also felt that sense lost so acutely because there was so much going on in my life at that moment. It, it, in, at work, I was facing a lot of workplace bullying and stress and anxiety. And I was also going through IVF at that time. And it, it wasn't something I was talking to anybody about. So mm. To, for that to happen at that time, I think perhaps I felt like kind of untethered a bit, I, that I've lost that anchor where I, I could always rely on this this cat to always comfort me no matter what yeah. else was happening in my life. I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because when, I, go, I'm just, I you know, I haven't been through it, but I can imagine that, especially with fertility treatment, it's it's very uncertain, isn't it? There's no like, well, if you do this, you'll be, this will happen. Like, you know, it's all... <laughs> a certain it's science but with almost a magic wrapped up in it isn't it because there's no like well if you save 50 pounds and put it into this account it will be worth it there's none, none of that security and then a cat like you said it's so connected to the domestic to the home and whatever's happening outside all that chaos like you come into that place that you've decorated you've chosen everything it's your nest and like you said, that having that love there when things are rocky outside or unstable. I mean, it's a classic example, isn't it? That lockdown, I know I've read that like the increase of pet buying in lockdown has gone crazy because everybody wants a dog and a cat. And they, I've heard it sort of sold as like, oh, well, because, you know, you're at home. And it's like, no, because things are scary. <laughs> and you can get this thing that you can not control, but it's simple. Like you said, the interactions are very simple. They're not going to, you know, question you about coronavirus statistics <laughs> And then, yeah, to lose that at that time must have been really, yeah, I said untethering. I can really understand that. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. Do you think as well, because you weren't talking about IVF with people then perhaps they didn't understand, you know, to them they're like, oh, her cat just died. Like they can almost remove all the other stuff about it. If you don't think about what else is going on in someone's life, it's easy to go, oh, it's just a cat. I don't quite understand why she can't come to work. Yes, and I, yes, I agree. I I didn't talk about it because I just felt it was too personal. And I, mm. I don't know when the, the fertility treatments is, is a strange thing because you do all that with so much hope and every time your hope is shattered, every oh, cycle is not yeah. successful. And you you do everything because it's it's also like an obsession. It's because you think if I did one more thing, then maybe it will work. If I ate more mm. pineapple or if I ate, <laughs> put my legs up in the air or if I did acupuncture, something will work inevitably. Yeah. And it's so much uncertainty around it. And you feel like you're detached from your own body because all this is happening to your body and you're not in your own body anymore. And I think anything I felt like I just couldn't talk to anybody about it because I think there is also a lot of shame associated with fertility treatments because mm. it feel like you've kind of failed as a person to not be able to conceive naturally or not have a child because we in our society there's so many things wrapped in the notion of womanhood and femininity and and if you're a woman you 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 should be able to work and function and do things mm. that you're designed for and you feel like that's not happening. And the fertility treatments have a huge mental and physical impact that we don't talk about openly because people don't talk about the 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 trauma sometimes you face of not things not working. And and I think within the South Asian community, it's not talked about either. It's quite a lot of taboo things about not not being able to have a child. Yeah. So uh, while at the same time, my eldest was becoming a teenager, so I was going through through that separation as well of, yeah. of a child who was finding her own identity and not relying on me anymore. And we've been very close because I was a single parent before that. And so, and then suddenly she was stepping away and, and <laughs> turning around and telling me I wasn't a good parent. And Oh God, I don't want that to happen. Fuck, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> oh God. And that's why right now when I have my four-year-old twin, when she still wants me, I'm sometimes surprised like, oh, she still wants to be with me. <laughs> Oh, it must be so nice after having the rejection of a teenager to be like, of course, I'll have a hug. Yes. Okay. Many times yeah. as you want. <laughs> but no, it's like that was happening. And so, so much was changing around me mm. and so much was transforming. And um, yeah, she was stepping away. The workplace was a bit unstable. And 
all this stress and anxiety that was going on there and i was i felt all this crisis around me and 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 trying to become a parent when you feel like a bad parent <laughs> oh god yeah that must have been such a like hard thing to process in in your emotions because you know you are a good parent you know you are and that that child is there and healthy and happy and also I think it's a sign of a good parent if they can turn around and say to you you're a bad parent it's like well I've taught you vocabulary opinions how to express yourself (laughs) but yeah and then also trying to become another parent like you said while your body is not doing what you feel it's supposed to and I think that's again that's that thing with grief isn't it like we talk about on the show like that there's no such thing as a grief hierarchy like there isn't like grief is grief however you feel it but I think what's always interesting with the grief and I've had this before sometimes with guests when they're like oh oh I don't know why I was so sad and then you look and you're like there was so many other things that made that grief just it just turned it up slightly you know I think I I a friend of mine passed away last week and you know I didn't know her incredibly well and it really same as you like it really hit me and I had a couple of people go oh I didn't think you you knew her that well and I was like you know when you it's it's weird isn't it when you you've got all the emotion and you can't quite justify it to yourself so you're sort of like I'm crying I don't quite know why I'm feeling it so strongly and I guess that's what you had with Harry like you said you're you can't work you're bawling your eyes out and there's a little voice in your head being like oh no this isn't inverted commas correct but that's the problem with grief is like there isn't a logic to it it's just how you feel but on top of what you were dealing with I'm not surprised that something so out of control like untethered you yeah grief is a strange thing so what you just said about your friend is just so true isn't it even people you're not seen for a very long time mm. or close to you suddenly feel a loss of them even though they weren't part of your life so so as I said I was married before I'm very young when I had my daughter um, and it was a really bad <laughs> bad time of it I I wasn't wasn't accepted by that family. It was a really, really um, kind of stressful thing. And then I recently found out that my ex-mother-in-law passed away. And I haven't seen her since I left. And I haven't really talked about her or to her. The memories are not nice in any way. Mm. But I, I sat there and cried. I felt such a huge sense of... I didn't know this grief washing over me for and I couldn't understand why I was feeling this loss when I didn't even like the person or the person hadn't <laughs> been nice to me at all yeah. and actually been a quite a traumatic phase of my life and it was just really strange. I know I think that's the thing of like it's sometimes when you try and apply logic to something that there isn't a logic for. I'm a bit like we're saying about the fertility treatment there isn't a logic you can obviously do all these things but there's like a 10% window, isn't it, of like things that are not controllable. And I think that with grief and I guess just the way human brains work, like sometimes you still surprise yourself. And I think we shouldn't be surprised really because we are, we're such complex, weird beings that don't really make much sense. But we, our whole society, civilization is so focused on trying to make it make sense. Like, you know, put your clothes on, have a normal job, smile when you go outside, do all these things. And I think we try and trick ourselves of like, see I'm normal (laughs) like this is okay whereas actually it's chaos out there it's mad anyone can drop dead anything can happen you know and you have no control over anything really and I do think yeah it's a really hard it's a hard grief when you can't quite justify it to yourself and I think for me so 
my friend who died, I, I had two other friends who just lost parents. And I'd been very stoic about it. And I'd been very like, you know, they were ill and they were old and I'm helping my friends deal with it. And I think this friend who was very young, it just, I was like, you know what? No, <laughs> like, enough, enough, I, uh, enough death right now. It just sort of tipped me. And I wonder if you were also crying when your mother lord, like for the Pragya that knew her, you know what I mean? It's just, it's all wrapped up in that pain and sadness. It's not, grief isn't necessarily, did you like them? Did you get on with them? Did you see them yesterday? Like that isn't what, defines the strength of your emotion that is yeah that's really true maybe the loss of or maybe just remembering that time of my life mm. or loss of those years days when I didn't feel like myself and then the, all the recovery that went after that and the trauma that I faced during that time I don't know I just I didn't know what I was crying for Yes. Yeah. It's just, I think it was also at the time when we were in COVID and lockdown and yeah. I was hearing all these bad news everywhere of so many people, close to people I knew dying and just not being able to process about what's happening with this world. Everything's changing. And I think as human beings, we don't like change. Maybe that's some so no. much and we like want to feel like things are going to stay like this. And that's why sometimes when things are going really well, you get scared because you're mm. terrified of losing that and you think this could change any moment and and I think I've become like that I get almost I almost get can't enjoy things sometimes because I feel like this is not going to last no I have that so badly and I really hate it because <laughs> it's like when things are crap I'm like yeah of course they are and then when it's going good it, sometimes you don't notice it and then you'll have a moment you're like oh god that's going well and that's going well god everything's going well oh god that's where that means it's gonna fuck up and it's it's a very it's anxiety isn't it and trying to I think it's trying to come to a peace which I think is you know this is very hard this is like human life work of trying to come to a peace that you can't control anything it might get better, it might get worse, it might get much, much better, it might get much, much better. There's just nothing you can do. And I think that you said if you, it's really hard to let that go. Like, isn't that what like basically all all religions are trying to tell you? Um, and all, but with all these other rules, obviously included in that religion. And it's it's hard to just go, oh yeah, things might just suddenly get worse and not be upset by that and try and control it and keep the happiness. God, yeah, knowing that you can't control anything, it's probably the worst thing. And I think that's why sometimes <laughs> you become, you, you want to hold on tight. And I think sometimes that, the yeah, anxiety results in this kind of what we call control freak, because sometimes mm -hmm. husband thinks, why can't you just enjoy this moment right now rather than, because sometimes I feel like if I, we're having a really nice just day, just, just hanging out and nobody's shouting or crying or screaming <laughs> or angry at each other or, and nothing's like that. And it's like a really serene moment. I almost feel like I'm like a fly on the wall looking at it from mm. outside thinking, oh, this isn't me. I'm not experiencing it because I'm trying to detach myself from that happy feeling because I know that I will grieve it even more if when it's not there anymore. And I think I, I think maybe at that, that time when Harry died, I was feeling that loss of control so much because of loss of control of my body not working, the way... I wanted it to be um, every every month, every time a cycle doesn't work, you're grieving in a way, but you can't really grieve because it was never there or never yours no. anyway. And but you're grieving hope and you're, you're the loss of something that you thought was going to be there. You know that that feeling that it might happen this time, 
and and the loss of a childhood of a child in uh, transitioning into an adolescent kind of a teenager and that phase is is gone and as a parent you really want your children to grow up and be opinionated and strong but i think every parent feels the kind of sense of the transition when that happens when they don't mm. need and that loss that you're not as important in their lives anymore you know and then the loss of the kind of career that i was holding on to working so hard and and then realizing actually i don't know if i really want this anymore or is it worth it because it's it's is um yeah it's just not good for my mental health what's happening mm. in my workplace and so all these things are losses that we can't really articulate and we can't talk about because how do you talk about uh, talk, loss is often so much wrapped up in material things and like mm. materiality and something physical that you're losing and and i think loss of a feeling or loss of a time of your life or loss of a phase of your life or something i think we don't talk about that yeah and then i guess that you said harry was just in the middle of all that so of course you guys were just bereft by it and it's it's really hard i think also with grief it's very hard to say that at the time it often takes eight years down the line to look back and go oh i oh i see but at the time all you can say is like oh my cat's died and i think that is when when you feel like you said that weird reaction from people because they don't understand that you're not just grieving like, oh, we had a cat and it was nice. Like that's not, it's so much more wrapped up in that. Like you said, it's your home and control and safety and all of those things. So do you think you'll ever do anything with his ashes, with Harry? Or do you think, you? I mean, I no judgment. If you want to keep them. My mum kept my dad's ashes in the wardrobe for about 15 years. So <laughs> don't, if you want, it's making you feel better. I think there's nothing wrong with it. No, I think we should. And we've, thought about it i i feel like that sense of letting him go and our eldest uh, sheeta she says that quite a lot she says you know that's not really good we shouldn't really keep his ashes for too long we should have really didn't done something about it and i keep brushing it away it feels like i'm kind of digging back into those feelings if i mm. i face it and i'm think sometimes just avoiding things avoiding really tough things um, but I need to, we need to, yes, I think we need to. But I think that's so, that makes a lot of sense. Like, that's how humans survive, isn't it? It's like, well, this is painful, so don't do it. <laughs> like, nothing wrong with that. Like, that's how we learned, isn't it? Or, you know, millions of years ago. And I think if it keeps you comfort, my mother-in-law, they had um, a dog who I didn't actually sadly get to meet, but was with them for a very long time, George, the poodle. And they all talk about him as if, he was a member of the family, as if he was a person. And when he died, she kept his collar under her pillow, like, until she died, basically. So, you know, it meant so much to her. And I think when I when I became part of that family, obviously I had come from a family where my dad had died. And I remember the way they talked about this dog. At first I was like, okay, guys, it's a dog. But then the more they talked about him, and I mean like him, I started to see, oh, he wasn't just a dog because I'd had a dog who really was just a dog like it was bless him but he wasn't really like you know bless him he was completely insane so we hadn't really had that like oh he became completely one of our team and I think again that's hard for people if you haven't had that with an animal if you haven't had that connection or experience as ever with humans it's just hard to get your head around because you think well I've seen a cat and I didn't I wouldn't be that upset if it if it wasn't there the next day but it's like well it wasn't part of your family it's always so difficult to put yourself well, it's not difficult to put yourself in other people's shoes, but I think it's not the automatic thing sometimes with grief because I think it's painful and people get scared of it. Yeah, and I think 
now even as I'm talking about it and kind of rationalizing why I was feeling his death so acutely, I feel really guilty because I'm almost kind of feel like I'm dismissing or dismissing the, his importance, you know, and I, mm. it's really strange right now because I, I haven't thought about it like this for forever. I mean, I didn't mm. want to talk about it, but we still, whenever his name comes up, all of us suddenly go really quiet and sad. Oh. Even my husband, who's not a very expressive or exhibitive person, he's very laid back about these things and quite pragmatic. He just goes really quiet and doesn't talk about him. Or I just if sees a photo, he's like, "Oh, Harry," and we just, we just, yeah. I think he was such a huge, huge part. He was. He has oodles of personality, and he was. He had a mat that he used to sleep on, and. My husband put it away immediately in an attic. And when we moved, he said, what should I do about it? And we weren't ready to throw it away. And he said, oh, and he just hid it in a box and put it away back again in the attic when we moved to this new house. And he didn't, I found out later he hadn't thrown it away, which he usually throws away most of the stuff that I accumulate. <laughs> and uh, and a daughter had painted a food bowl for him, you know, in one of those pottery mm. things with his name on it. And... And for a long time, we didn't use that. We just put it in a box. And then we got, when you got a new cat, we brought it out for her. And, and so she's using it. So every time we put food in it, it's like almost we remember him in some way. Yeah. And it's really strange because we've had a cat since then. And she's amazed. She <laughs> means a lot. But that connection, I don't know if I can have that connection with another yeah I think that's a really good point to say as well because I do that a lot I kind of rationalize why we are feeling things but you're right it's not just that all those things were going on in your life it was Harry was really special and I think this is that thing with pets I have this thing this is a bit of a weird theory but like do you know sometimes you see an animal and you're like you've been here before like I do not believe you're a cat or a dog like some dogs like there's this face and you're like I feel like I've met you somewhere else when you were human some animals but sometimes you look at an animal like a dog or a cat and it's just like you just see dog and cat like they're just looking at you like hello that's it there's not much going on behind the eyes and if you meet I really think um it's weird but it's the same as people right like sometimes you meet someone you just get you just get that connection you're like wow even if I don't see that person, I know we're friends. And sometimes you have that with a cat or a dog. Like you said, you can get a new cat and they can be, they're nice, you like them, but they're not, you know, like obviously you had with Harry, that's special. And I think, I don't think, like you said, you don't, I think you can have it more than once. I guess it's like love, <laughs> but um, but not like you don't get it every time. It's kind of when it creeps up, it's really, it's really special. My, again, when I met my husband, they had, this special dog had died, but they had this other dog called Tara, who everyone liked, but I fell in love with that. Me and Tara just got each other. Like she was really short and she was Welsh. And I just, and she used to eat stones till they broke her teeth. And I just, like her stubbornness, her absolute stubbornness, but very jolly. And there was something, yeah, when Tara went, it, it was the first time I was like, oh, I'm, I'm actually a bit sad about that. And I found that difficult because, you know, my grief had always been for humans and I was a bit like oh well she's just a, I tried to really minimize it which well, is just a dog like get over it Carrie but yeah I still whenever I talk about her I still feel like you know you feel warm don't you like oh she was real she was a great dog and yeah I think it's nothing as ever with grief like the more people talk about it the more people can accept like it's perfectly fine to grieve an animal like of course it is you know people grieve all sorts of things like they grieve tops that they've lost they grieve like houses that they used to live in like 
having an animal that was a living thing like that makes perfect sense yeah it does isn't it i mean although it's very still very difficult to talk about it with people because people don't understand i think sometimes yeah you need so you need a cat person who gets it or a dog person who's like i get it but as you say sometimes even if you have a pet you might not have such a strong connection to them yeah. and talking about grieving a house is really strange because we when this house that we lived in 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 southwell in nottinghamshire we only lived there for 3 years but i think that's the first house we kind of made together as a family mm. we got a dog and and when we moved away from there i don't think i we still talk about that house like it's our house it's our home <laughs> to go back to and we have been away from there for 10 years now and we still talk about going back to southwell to that house so yeah it's it's very we are a weird family i think <laughs> Well, no, but I think it comes back to like we said. There's chaos in the world, and there's change. And if there's something that seems to offer a home and stability and love, like that becomes hugely important. How do you feel about like your death and your mortality? Is it something that you are comfortable? <laughs> you looked a bit uncomfortable as I asked you. No, I'm Is not uncomfortable. Something... I was going to say I'm obsessed with my death and mortality. Oh, really? I think. Oh my god, I talk. I think my husband's really exhausted with it now because I feel like. I don't know. Since I was young, I had this feeling like I'm going to die very soon, and I, <laughs> I'm sorry to kind of say. No, no, it's all right. I just hope you're all right now, Pragya. <laughs> no, I, I talk about it in a really kind of pragmatic way, but I always, mm. always talk about like dying when I die, or if I die, when mm. I die, this will happen. When I die, do that, or, and I've always. I don't know it's just a really weird thing maybe but I read about it somewhere that other people feel like the same sometimes so maybe I'm mm. not that strange but like when I'm driving or something I always have this kind of momentary of feeling like a truck is going to come and hit me and I'm going to die and I imagine that so much and and whatever I'm doing I have this feeling like oh this is going to happen just now and I'm going to die and then I imagine what's going to happen if when I die so oh I do exactly the same thing what i've sort of looked into it is like it's death anxiety but i've always put it down to like because i lost a parent young i always think the worst so like anything i'm doing i'll be like oh if we if i didn't look there a truck would hit us right especially if i'm with my kids it's like oh and i if we went around that corner maybe there'd be someone there with a knife who stabbed us or oh there wasn't anyway and it's like <laughs> these like things that play in your head and i used to again think i was very strange but the more i've spoken to people there not everyone <laughs> it is not common but there's definitely a group of us that have this constant running narrative of how it might happen or what might happen and and i think again it's anxiety it's like this need to be prepared for it sometimes whether it's with me of like oh don't do that because you know if there was a terrorist attack right now that would be a bad place to be <laughs> it's like always being on alert in a way which is quite tiring it is exhausting being on alert mm. isn't it i think maybe that's why you over prepare sometimes for things like yeah. you kind of i i'm not over prepared in terms of like having my house organized or anything like that but <laughs> just <laughs> but prepared for when if it happens what do you want like what are your funeral plans have you thought about it i just want Obviously, people yeah. to remember me <laughs> <laughs> you just want memory you just want you don't mind what else happens no because i'll be gone so it's not like i i would know what's happening i always think of it like that i was like I don't really I wouldn't know as long as 
I've always had this thing that I want to leave some sort of legacy behind and it sounds really cheesy but I was like no I just sense. want people to remember me after I'm gone what if I'm just like a really forgettable blip in this thing that's <laughs> happened and <laughs> Pragya, you're definitely not forgettable. Definitely. Okay, maybe hopefully in a nice way, but it's like okay. <laughs> Yeah, in a very nice way. In a very nice way. But I've always had this maybe that's fear of being like just immensely forgettable, of not mm. people not even remembering who I was or that I existed or that I made a difference in any way or that that yeah, what if that maybe that's my worst fear of just going without anybody noticing or, you know, knowing that I was here. But do you feel it's like kind of really vain? I sometimes feel like I'm just so vain that I want to be like immortalized or something in some way or not made a statue. Please don't make a statue of me. <laughs> I was going to say, do we, need, do we need to talk to the town council? Do you want a little statue done? No, but I've always, um, I've always hoped that my family would remember me in a nice way. But yeah, I don't know. I'd never thought about what what my funeral would be like because I suppose because I'm also I was brought up Hindu so Mm. we cremate our dead and here in my my husband's family everybody's buried so I don't know what's going to I haven't really thought about what's going to happen in terms of cremation or being buried I don't like the idea of being buried for some reason well, it's understand- if you're brought up Hindu, it's understandable that you're like my burial doesn't sound great guys (laughs) like that makes sense yeah so I don't know We'll, um, yeah, maybe it'll be a, it, it should be a joyous occasion. I hope so. Do you think maybe you'd want um, Harry's ashes mixed in with yours? Is that something you thought about? Oh, that's such a sweet thing. Yeah, I know people have done that. Oh, really? I've yeah, never yeah. thought of it like that, but that's such a sweet thing. Yeah, maybe that's, you know, so then you get to be back with him and you are, you know, wherever you are, he's on your lap. I don't know what my husband will can. make of it, though. He thinks I'm weird already, so I'll have to make this. <laughs> if you've already set the bar of weird, there's nothing doesn't matter does it like you're already weird it doesn't matter what you do next it can continue to be weird i do see that kind of panicked exhausted look in his eyes every time i mention my death because i (laughs) mention it so much we would be just sitting there and talking normally and something will happen and i will just say you know when so when i die or maybe i'll just die and then like i talk a lot about how i don't want to be like really frail and i've talked Mm. about how i want to like die before i become dependent on anybody yeah yeah that's one of my biggest fear as well I think that's a really great I think more people should have that conversation like it's because I know so many people who've then not had it someone dies and then everyone's like oh she once told me she wanted to be buried oh no she didn't she said that and then you get into the family like that's why you know advanced care planning as they call it is like such an amazing amazing thing I think Um, it is important and I think it's really important to have that conversation with children as well about grief and death and I think we don't do that sometimes and I can see my four-year-olds now really obsessed with death at the moment because they've suddenly realized that people get killed or animals get killed and they watch David Mm. Attenborough shows where (laughs) the deer is being killed by the tiger and one of them takes it really pragmatically so she dead him and she killed him and the ladybird was dead and she's obsessed with the other one got really anxious about me dying and going away and leaving her and she would lie awake at night thinking that I will die and something will happen to me but I think it's important to talk to children about death yeah definitely hugely hugely important because they'll just like you said they'll start making up their own things and it is going to happen it's not like it's not going to happen there's no point protecting them from something that's 
that is going to happen. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, they might never need to go Arctic exploring. You don't have to sit them down and be like, look, guys, if you're ever in a snowstorm, this is what you need to do. But they are going to have to deal with death. And yet we don't we don't talk about it. So and I think also that's the other great, not great, but the other thing that happens when a pet dies is you get to have that conversation with children and you get to talk about that. And mm. I think that can be really useful. Well, Parker, thank you so much. It was so nice to talk about Harry. He was a beautiful boy. Yeah, I bet he was. Well, thank you so much, Prague. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for talking to me. You can follow Prague on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Prague Argawal. Prague, P-R-A-G-Y-A. A-G-A-R-W-A-L Argawal You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast The show was edited by Kate Holland um, The music was provided by The Glue Ensemble Artwork by Jay Perkins It was recorded uh, in my living room and Prague's office I think And her book Sway is out to buy now As I said do buy it, it's amazing And remember You are not alone catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 